computer. Hello and welcome to the uh, podcast today. We're uh, talking about the February 7th uh, lesson. Today or this coming Sunday will be Denominational Sunday, so I hope your churches have uh, gotten ready for that, and I hope it's a special time, even though it's probably going to be different than what you've ever done before. Uh, I do hope that you've had a, a good time or will have a good time celebrating the denominational birthday. Uh, we are going to be talking about Luke chapter 7, and it's titled A Compassionate Christ. Our prayer for illumination today is, God of mercy, you promise never to break your covenant with us. Amid all the changing words of our generation, speak your eternal word that does not change. Then may we respond to your gracious promises with faithful and obedient lives through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And then our, the scripture selections, Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. And the memory verse comes to, at uh, verse 13. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion for her and said to her, do not weep. All right. Mm. So I'm glad we got through the introduction. It's been a couple weeks since I've done that. So I'm terrible. <laughs> Joined with Logan Dixon. He's got the Monday me morning megaphone. Uh, you can look up on any of your podcast aggregates. And then also we got Rebecca Zarty, who is known for her porch. And she's the That's pastor right. of two local churches in Western Kentucky. And so we're glad to share with you again. And I am glad not to be the writer. Reverend Rebecca was the writer today. That's right. That's right. So, and she starts our lesson out uh, with a very, I think, personal and uh, good introduction. So what I'd like to do is let you um, maybe tell us the background. Like your question is, when and by whom were you first shown compassion, uh, the compassion of Christ? And so I think that's the genesis of your introduction. So I want to yeah let you, let you share it and, and really it's the the focus of this lesson um the memory verse again is verse 13 when the lord saw her he had compassion for her and said to her do not weep and that is a beautiful sentiment so uh, if you've read this introduction you know that there was a tragic accident and i just wanted to share with you the compassion of christ that was found through this beautiful young woman um, I grew up in Midwest Wisconsin in the area that I grew up in. I was the country kid, you know, and country kids don't hang with city kids. That's, that's you don't mix. Your country kids hang together, your city kids hang together. Um, and we had three local elementary schools. So in sixth grade, um, all the elementary schools combined into one middle school. And so in my homeroom class, I didn't know anybody because everybody else had come from the other two um, elementary schools and this young woman I met in sixth grade and she was just a beautiful soul she was a city kid but she loved me right where I was I was always the big kid in school so I was always kind of on the outskirts definitely the kind of the outcast person but she saw beyond my external and saw my heart and like most sixth grade girls, you know, we're like 11 years old. We got those little best friend necklaces that were just, you know, I went home and I was so excited. I'm like, look, mom, I have a best friend. I was just, I was just thrilled to share that with her. And then we got to seventh grade and nothing, nothing really changed between us other than we just didn't have classes together. So we didn't really talk a whole lot, didn't hang out a whole lot. But then eighth grade came and we're both 13 and we have the same homeroom again. And we had just really started talking and rekindling that friendship and went back to wearing our little best friend necklaces and one afternoon she was on her way home from school and she was walking along the sidewalk and the sidewalk was uneven 
and she tripped on the sidewalk around the corner of this really busy street. And as she tripped, a fully loaded Mack truck was going by and the airflow pulled her back under the back wheels of the Mack truck and dragged her for two blocks and she died. And it was very tragic. Um, it was horrific at that moment of 13 of rekindling this beautiful relationship with this person who loved me right where I was and showed me truly the compassion of Christ um, to lose her and to lose her in the midst of that. And that is really where my thought process was when I began writing this lesson of, you know, the Lord saw her and had compassion for her and said, do not weep. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough, that's a tough one. And so you get the double whammy in the fact that your best friend showed compassion to you. And then you also had to seek compassion somewhere Mm -hmm. with the having to deal with, um, that's tough. Did you have any, um, like interaction with her family? I mean, no, really, because our friendship was really solely completely based upon our school hours. Um, and just hanging out together at school. So after school, she hung out with her city kid friends and I went home to the country and hung out with my country friends. So, and it was, it was tough. Um, just another little side note with this. It's interesting how God always works. Um, because my parents, I don't think understood my deep sorrow at that time because we didn't have a relationship outside of school. So they were like, I don't know. I don't really know who this person is or why you're so upset, but fast forward um, many years and my daughter, now we are living in um, a town. And when we first moved to the town that we were in at that time, um, there was one little girl in her class that really had compassion for her because she was a new kid and really kind of took her under her wings. And even though she never came around our house a whole lot. We'd met her a couple times. She was a really strong connection for my daughter as well. Somebody that had compassion for her and loved her where she was. And she died in a tragic ATV accident at 13. That's crazy. Um, And it Hmm. just came full circle because it brought back all that memory that I had. And so I was able to minister to my daughter in a time where my parents, not that they didn't know how but just weren't able to minister to me when I was 13 I was able to take that compassion and share that with my daughter so it's amazing how how God works um and sometimes in the tragedies in our life helping us reach other people um in places that only somebody who's been through that can reach that is Mm. compassion that's what we do yeah yeah thank you for sharing that that's a sobering thing and so Thank you for sharing with the rest of the folks that will uh, partake in this lesson as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So that being said, I guess there's not really, I don't really want to pick apart that. I'll honor that. And then we'll go on to the, to the next uh, sub subheading there. And that's uh, exploring the scripture. Um, so what were you going for here? Really? I want to, get people deep into the scripture. Um, you know, I brought off some things that, that were new to me, even, you know, the fact that, that Capernaum was known as Kafar Nahum, meaning Nahum's village, that it was a small fishing village, 
um, that in the biblical times, it was only like 1,500 people. You know, talk about a small town. Everybody mm-hmm. knew everybody who, knows who everybody was, you know, and what you weren't or were doing, you know? Yeah, it's about the size uh, of the town I live in. And you know, you know what's going mm-hmm. on because everybody talks about what's going on. And so the same thing would have been happening here. Um, yep. And that we have this this Gentile who worked for Herod Antipas. I thought that was really interesting and that he worked for Herod Antipas, but yet he was the one responsible for building the synagogue for the Jews. In this small village, this teaching center, um, that this God-fear, not a Jew himself, but this God-fear built um, because he respected and cared for those that he shared this village with. Yeah, and I'd like to, I think I want to note that, like, um, there's something to be said. I mean, like that means this centurion just had a compassionate heart. Like when he was, cause you could, you could imagine, and it happens all the time. If you're somebody that has power and you're in charge of people that aren't like you, you might tend to want to show your power or to express it in ways that aren't healthy for everybody. But evidently this guy had a servant's heart and, and there was a, there was a community in a sense where he, he cared about those folks and it, evidently those folks cared about him. I mean, cause they came to Christ and they were like, Hey, uh, this is a good dude, help him out. <laughs> so community is important there. And the way we conduct ourselves, I mean, you know, if those folks would have like rejected him simply because he was an outsider yeah. then that, mm-hmm. that uh, relationship didn't flourish either. So mm-hmm. compassion is important there. Absolutely. Well, you know, uh, not not to change the subject, uh, but you mentioned that uh, Kfar Nahum is a fishing village. I think that's important to note because Jesus did a lot of his ministry around fishing villages and towns. Uh, this would have been a part of the agriculture. It would have been part of, you know, the identity of the people. And so it's significant because Jesus used fishing a lot as illustrations yes. of how he wanted his disciples to function and to live. Um, you know, he said, be you fishers of men. So they would have understand, they would have understood all those references. And so, and so being around all of that, it was an opportunity for Jesus to, to point, point at, at the fishing going on and saying, I want you to do that for people. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so that's, and the only way you can get there, the only way you can, you can do that is through compassion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amen. So that's the one. And then we get to another town, yeah. right? So the yeah. miracle that we're going through. Um, yeah, then we jump down to Nain, 31 miles away. We jump down to the city of Nain and you have this widow woman um, who has lost her only son. And Jesus does this amazing thing in that he had compassion for, which is where a memory verse comes from. And he touches the beer and and or or the or the body you know whatever he did he either touched the beer or the body and and brought back this young man from the dead or his mom who was just deeply distraught at this moment in time um it's a very interesting story because again it's about jesus just not knowing this person i mean we have no understanding of any kind of relation he just seen that this funeral procession was going on. They were coming outside of the city and he had compassion for this woman and 
did this miraculous thing in front of all of these people and raised this boy from the dead. For, for those who might be watching this and haven't read the lesson yet, for whatever reason, we should explain what a beer is because, you know, Jesus isn't touching the Budweiser. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> he, he is not. He not. Uh, a beer is either a stand or a plank in which um, a corpse or the coffin would be laid and carried out to the gravesite. Um, yeah, would have been like a garney. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there is this thing, I think we probably need whether it was against the law directly or not being around the dead body touching a dead body being whatever mm -hmm. i mean there there's a sense in which you know like jesus talks about uh, these kinds of things like on the good samaritan story where a priest is kind of scared to go help because he might be ritually unclean jesus didn't think yeah. about any of that he saw a woman in need he saw a woman hurting and he reached out and 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 he was more concerned about compassion than he was about the regulation, something like we talked about last week with the Sabbath. Um, you know, it shows the heart of God where mm -hmm. we, where a lot of times it shows our heart when we make excuses, when things are too hard to help, we're like, Oh, thank goodness. I just can't go. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, if I did that, you know, so. Yeah. So that's a, that's an important thing to bring up, I think. Um, and I think what we, what you did, and I want to bring this back because I, what I've noticed with the narrative lectionary is for whatever reason, the uh, story of Elijah or Elisha, they, they come up a lot, either through John the Baptist yeah. ministries or when Jesus talks about, you know, this is the year of Jubilee and he gets mad. But anyway, it just comes up a lot. And so this is another foreshadowing or not a foreshadowing. I guess it was a looking back when Jesus raises this widow's son, we're, we're supposed to think, uh, think about the prophets of old. And so um, what, why do you think that is? Why do we get this reoccurring theme of a prophet raising an only son or, or these kinds of things? You know, again, I think it goes back to compassion. Elijah was living with this widow woman and her son. Um, and, and I think we get to it in the digging deeper section about the recognition that the, the widow woman had about who Elijah really was, but it, there was nothing other than the compassion of Elijah that he had, that he went to God and, and, and raised this young man back from the dead. Um, you know, he could have said, eh, it, it's his time. You know, there's nothing that I can do, but because he had compassion for the widow woman for what she had done for him, he then turned around and raise the boy from the dead. And it's, and it's all about that compassionate heart. It's seeing somebody that's hurting and knowing that we can do something about it. And instead of, you know, like you said, just going, ah, oh, it's too hard. Not <laughs> I don't my want to problem. take care of that. Not my issue. You know, they, they took it upon themselves to do that. And I think that points us directly to Jesus in cases like this, where it could have been considered unclean that he wasn't concerned with the law. Like you said, he wasn't concerned with the rules and the regulations. He was concerned about the person's heart, where they were and what needed to be done in that moment. And he knew he could do something and he did. Um, another thing, if I can piggyback off of that, uh, I think it was another way of authenticating who Jesus was. Mm -hmm. um, so we have, you have the three offices uh, of the old Testament uh, which were prophet, priest, and king. And everything Jesus did was a fulfillment of, of those offices. 
we are supposed to be reminded whenever we see Jesus do a miracle of any kind, we're supposed to be reminded that Jesus is our prophet, our priest, and our king. So whenever he's going around raising people from the dead, he, he acts as he acts as a prophet like Elijah. Whenever he proclaims woes upon upon the Pharisees and upon uh, the Jews, we're supposed to see him as a prophet. Whenever he comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, we're supposed to see him as the king. Whenever he's with his disciples up in the upper room and he breaks the bread and pours the wine and gives it to them, you know, that's a fulfillment of the show bread and the wine that were in the temple. Um, we're supposed to see him as our priest. So everything Jesus is doing, it's, it's, it's opening up our eyes to who he is. And so I think that's important, and, and I don't think I don't think uh, we can afford to to lose that. So I mean, it probably also has a different. I mean, we we see it backwards, but at the yes. time, contemporary, he's he's saying all this that you're hoping for is centered in me, in the present. Mm. Like, look toward me now. And so I think that's that, it's hard. Like when I think about it, it's easy for us to look back and be like, no duh. I mean, how could you miss Jesus? But you know, they're in the middle of it. And so they are relying on these signs, these symbols, these foreshadowings or whatnot. And they, they're connecting that with, with Jesus Christ as prophet, mm -hmm. priest, and king as the Messiah. So mm -hmm. they are important. Well, and, and, as, and another thing, I, I don't know, I might get flack for this comment. I'm not sure. But, but another thing is we, uh, we, I love the New Testament. We need the New Testament. We obviously need the New Testament or we wouldn't have given, or it wouldn't have been given it to us. But, a lot of these signs and symbols and things that happened through the early church and um, and with Paul quoting the Old Testament scriptures, I think it goes to show that if the only thing we had was the Old Testament scriptures, then that would be enough for us to know who Jesus is because we'll we would have the we would have the testimony of the we would still have the testimony of the early church. We would still have those stories being passed down about who Jesus was. So I, I think if all we had was the Old Testament. Then we we would still be accountable to to know who Jesus is and what he he's done for us. Well, I mean, certainly because that's how it was in the New Testament when they were right. right. This was saying, you know, they were, he was saying, "Blessed are you because you believe," and then "Blessed are those who believe." You know, in that sense, I mean, they so, they still had to make the choice of believing that this prof these prophecies were about him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want anyone to leave. I don't want anyone to watch this and go away saying, oh, that guy said we don't need the New Testament. No, yeah. we need, we do. I'm just saying if all we had was the Old Testament, that'd be enough and we'd still be accountable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important, especially when we're looking at, like we're, we're walking through this new, new encounter layout and how important it is that we compare like this next section, comparing the scripture with scripture. Because a lot of times we focus only on the New Testament because it's about Jesus and we forget that the entire Old Testament is also about Jesus. And it is incredibly important to study the symbols and the culture and what was going on there because all of that points us to Christ. Yeah, and, and all of that, you know, yeah. backs that up and who Christ is and who he said he was and is. It's all backed up through the Old Testament. So it's really important to pull all that together. I will, right. I will. Go ahead, Logan. Oh, I was just going to say last night, uh, we're, we're recording this on a Monday. Uh, last night, I preached at, at, uh, at one of my friends' church, and uh, I preached from Romans one, uh, Romans 4, 1 through 12, 1 through 13. And in that passage, Paul uses two uh, major Old Testament texts, Genesis 15 and Psalm 32. The Apostle Paul uses Genesis 15 and Psalm 32 to prove 
that justification and salvation were by faith alone. Uh, like, because Paul doesn't have the New Testament. He's writing the New Testament. He probably doesn't know that he's writing the New Testament, but regardless, he doesn't have the New Testament. And so all he's got is the Old Testament. He, he's using the Old Testament to prove that salvation is by faith alone. And I think that's just, that's, that's profound. And the other thing that I think these kinds of stories do is, is we, it shapes our brain on how to think about the Messiah. Even if we know Jesus is the answer, it's, it's like a math bro. I love it when, when my children are like, why do we need math? You just know the answer. Yeah, but it forms the way you think. Like when you learn mathematical right. formulas, it forms how to think correctly. And in some sense, the, while we know the answer, uh, how, do, how do you get to it? And so the Old Testament forms us and shapes us on thinking Christian or thinking mm-hmm. godly, if you will. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, yeah. I think, and I think we, that's something we need to recover in the church because yeah. I don't think we engage our minds a lot. We just kind of take what everyone says at face value. You know, if they're a preacher on TV and they've written a lot of books, they must know more than I do. And, you know, we don't, we can't see it that way. We have a Bible, we have the Holy Spirit. We need to figure it out and engage our minds. God gave us minds to think with. And so we, we need to learn how to think. We need to learn how to logic through things. As we said in one lesson a few lessons ago, we need to learn how to logic through things. And I like and, that. Yeah. I still keep that yeah. with me. <laughs> um, yeah. Becky, the other thing I think you bring out in this uh, this part, this uh, the exploring the scripture part, is that uh, it was the loss of a son, but it would have been a double loss because it was a loss of her livelihood or her mm-hmm. way of surviving in the world right. as well. And so, yeah, this w- wasn't just a hurt i mean probably that was the biggest hurt would be the emotional hurt and the break from her son but it's also she would be destitute unless you know compassion on her but there's no guarantee to that any anyway right yeah it's her future it's not only her present but it's her future Mm -hmm. all right any anything else you want to highlight in that section there I, I did like the discussion question uh, on this one. What do you think is the significance of the word gave in this story? I, I really had to ponder that because it was Jesus gave her back her son. Yeah. You know, mm. and it's, and it's, that's a very simple, simple phrase to just kind of gloss over. But what is the significance of Jesus giving her son back to her? Um, you know, when you say it he like had that. him. F- yeah, she had him for a while, but then he left. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's kind of a double meaning in Jesus giving her son back. Yeah, it's like life. You don't get it. You don't, there's no, you lose something, you don't get it back, right? You right. lose everything. And so in that sense, Jesus gave, and I think it's too, Jesus gave her son back, but gave her her world back, like yes. her whole being back. Yeah. Um, as we just said, like a loss of a son, loss of whoever she is. Mm-hmm. social status economics right you know i i don't get this because i don't have kids yet um I, I understand it's a tragic thing to lose your child i understand that there's a great amount of sorrow and loss there but i don't know what it's like because to to love another human being that much because mm-hmm. um because i don't have kids yet but you know i can imagine especially with the way the culture was if you lose a male child, you've lost something significant because, because I mean, because unfortunately, what, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, women just weren't thought of like men were. Right. 
they uh and so if you lose a male child then and then you're almost tempted to believe that god has cursed you for whatever reason well that and yeah if that was a thing back then too like with the barren mm-hmm. children or the barren women who didn't have to where they had daughters or whatnot yeah yeah i mean at least if you had daughters you could use them as currency basically yeah but uh, it, but if you, but you know, if you got a male child and and something happens, and if, if you only have one male child, and something happens to that one male child, you're as good as barren, at least according to that culture. Mm-hmm. And so, whenever Jesus gave gave her her son back, you know, he's giving her back the blessing that she lost, and that's that's significant there Huge. for her. Yeah. Yeah, that's a tough one. I. Uh, uh, yeah, that's just a tough one, actually. Yeah. On both levels. A good one to ponder through in your class though today while you're while you're studying oh, yeah. this. You know? What is what is the significance of that giving her son back to her? Good question. All right. Digging deeper. Digging deeper. Dig deeper. Um, okay. Yeah, we're really getting into it now. Come on. Um now we've got the two centurions that are compared here. We have the centurion um, that's in our story in Luke today, but then we have the um, Cornelius who is talked about in Acts with Peter, another Gentile centurion. This one's a Roman centurion. And it's interesting to me in both of these conversations, we have a Gentile that believed in the one true God of whom they know probably cursory about through the people that they kind of oversee. Obviously, we know that the centurion and Luke had a significant um, fellowship with those that were in the city there in Capernaum. Um, and we kind of assume the same thing with the Gentile centurion, the Roman centurion, um, just because he spent time in prayer talking to the one true God. Um, so these amazing people of faith that just this beautiful faith that they had about a God that really was part of another culture, not a God of their own culture. So that was, that was really significant. And then again, the only son, um, we talk about him with Elijah and comparing the two. Um, And it was here that Elijah's widow recognized finally that Elijah was really sent by God. And I, I love that thought process because it was like, okay, so the never ending jar of oil, the never ending bin of flour wasn't like a clue during this horrific drought period that this man that was living with you may have been sent by God. I mean, that wasn't a clue, but it was raising her son from the dead that she was like, oh, he really is from God. <laughs> I think there's you know? something to that. I won't go yeah. there yet, but I would say, okay. um, so yeah, like both of these Gentiles are God fearers and yes, the best part about the story, the one that, uh, when we compare the two, they both end up meeting the Messiah and then are included not only as God fearers, but they become children of God, right? That's the beautiful yeah. part about the new testament like when we think about the the beauty of the new testament we like maybe what the old testament would have done was pointed us to christ but the new testament then really redefines that jubilee year that christ came to bring and so we get that fulfillment to where people can go from god fearers outside of the club 
but in Christ, children of God. Uh, and that's a beautiful thing. Like, mm-hmm. and, and again, that's something we look back and say, no, duh. I mean, like, really? Duh? <laughs> but like Peter, of all people, like visions, it took visions. And then like, uh, like, no, Peter, he's allowed to be part of the club. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's yes. the importance of having the New Testament and having the words of Christ expand our mind even further where the Old Testament uh, teaches us how to think. And then the New Testament expands it and says, oh, man, not only is he the Christ, look what kind of Christ he is. It's amazing. Mm, yeah, I think that's beautiful. Pretty, pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had asked Logan, I'm going to give you a the shot here because I thought it was interesting while we were preparing for this lesson talking (laughs) before we started recording, I did ask if, you know, since these stories reoccur or the thoughts of these stories of Elijah and Elisha, do they serve as a type of Christ? And by that, I mean, is, do you see like a type would be defined as, as a, uh, not just a pre-shadowing of Christ, but again, a way to think about the person of Christ in the old Testament. And so I asked that to Logan and I thought Logan brought up, a good uh, illustration, which I never would have put together. So I'm going to ask him to share it. Well, you know, I, they are types of Christ. I think they're, they're a way to, they're a way to think about the coming Messiah. Um, you know, particularly in the life of Elijah and Elisha, because they both ministered to people who were outside of the covenant community. Jesus comes to bring in the lost sheep of Israel. Right. So, they are types in the shadows. Uh, and one prominent example you see is in the life of Elijah. And it's actually not in his life per se, because he's already dead when this happens. Because remember, there's a story in, uh, I think it's second Kings where Elisha's Elisha is dead. He's been dead. He's buried. He's, his body is even decomposed. And a man who is fighting in uh, war dies and his body falls into Elisha's grave and his body touches Elisha's bones and when his body touches Elisha's bones he comes back to life well you know if you're reading that text and you're thinking well this is a cool story but how does it connect to the gospel it connects this way we uh, Paul says in Romans 6 that when we were buried with we were when we were baptized we were buried with Christ right so this this man that dies in the midst of battle he gets he falls into this grave and he's technically buried with Elisha. And so as he's buried with Elisha, his, his bones touch a lot, his body touch Elijah's bones. He's raised back to new life. Well, mm-hmm. when you're buried and you, when you're baptized, you become buried with Christ and you don't, and you touch Christ's bones per se, even though not his literal bones, we know he's alive, but you're buried with Christ. And because you're buried with Christ, you're able to, to, come back to new life and so you connect you connect death in the old testament to death in the new testament and so what's death in the new testament like well it's baptism you died and you are now raised with christ to new life and so this man in the old testament he's in the midst of battle he dies and he's raised to new life it's a type and shadow of baptism if you ask me uh second um, king 13 by the way for yeah inquiring minds Right. So, you know, that's, that's, I think I read that, by the way, I think I read that um, in an article by Daniel Emery Price 
from 1517. If I can find that article, I'll, I'll shoot it to Chris and he'll put it in the resources. So I can't come up with, I, I can't take credit for that on my own. <laughs> no, but it's good. And, and but I mean, that I think good. that's, I think these things illustrate uh, the ministry of Christ and his compassion, mm-hmm. his mm-hmm. fascist, his effectiveness. Efficacy. 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 There you go. There you go. Yeah, that's <laughs> Chris, you're reformed. You can't forget the word efficacy. Yeah, and he also <laughs> doctor and he still can't spell. So there you go. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna I'm just gonna have to take your doctorate from you and add it and put it in my office. It's mine you now. You can, have it. <laughs> you can have it. But Becky, what then what I was gonna say, and you can like people seek Christ for different reasons too, right? So like something, something that had profound impact on you or Logan, I would have been like, so, but like Mm -hmm. bread and water, sure. She was, you know, she was hungry and all that just didn't have the same emotional impact as losing her Mm -hmm. kid. And then all of a sudden, now I see that Christ really cares about me. Like that's important to me. And so I think that's part of, that's probably part of that's that's a really good point i mean that that is a really good point that there are different things that impact each one of us differently Mm um you know and how and how we react and how we see god working in that you know you may be like oh that's nice you know where for me it was a very profound thing yeah it's a really good point and then maybe too the when you read that story uh of the widow you catch up you catch some vocabulary words like when she meets Mm -hmm. elijah first she's like the lord your god told me to do Mm -hmm. this right or whatever blah 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 and then you see this progression in the way she talks to the end of the story where it's our god or or my god right her her pronouns change uh throughout that story so it could be uh she's learning to trust a little more because like okay Mm -hmm. like hey praise the lord we got food Mm-hmm. Does she completely trust God? And then her son dies. Now she's like, look, I had no reason to trust this, this God because now mm-hmm. my son's dead. But then you have Elijah that brings him back. And then she's like, okay, I can trust this Yahweh feller that I, you know, didn't know. So I think there's something to that. Right. And, and that's another Yahweh great feller. point. Yahweh feller. I did like that. That sometimes it takes time. Even when we are introduced to somebody from God or to God himself in, in an amazing, profound way. Sometimes we're like, hmm, and we got to think about it for a little while, you know, and, and here she changed over the course of this story and how she reacted to and saw God working because of, of the things that had happened in her life. And so sometimes it just, it takes time. Yeah. And so maybe I jumped the gun because our discussion question that we were going to highlight today uh, comes from this section. And and it's, uh, uh, if you think about the Roman centurion who took care of the poor and found favor with God, what does it say for non-Christians today who might not have someone close to them to introduce Jesus into their lives? It's the first question. Why do you think it often takes a miraculous sign or some miracle for people to recognize God in their life? So there's kind of two parts on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a great one to really talk about. Um, as somebody who personally left church and then came back to church, um, it took a specific kind of person to reach me. If it had been somebody who was very 
you're gonna listen to God and God's gonna da da da. I would have been like, done with you. You can turn around and walk away. But because the person who reintroduced me to the gospel and to who Christ was, loved me where I was and was compassionate for me and loved me regardless of what I was thinking at that moment, it allowed me a space to go, hmm, maybe God really does really care about me. Um, you know, and we need to think about that with people in our lives because so many times, myself included, you know, I, I know I'm preaching the choir here. We try to share the gospel message with our neighbors or with people in our family or with the person that we always run in down to the gas station, right? And they're just, no, 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 completely unreceptive, um, you know, but sometimes we don't recognize or realize that it's working right. and we just need to be continuous with that. Um, we need to be faithful to what we're saying and who we are and how we're acting um, and representing Jesus to the world um, because that continual faithfulness in what we're doing sometimes can break down those walls and sometimes it takes time. I, I have a, a short story. Uh, I'll, at least I'll try to make it as short as possible. Uh, when, I was attending, um, when I was attending the last church that I was at before I started pastoring, my pastor, who is very, very monotone and very theologically astute, he's almost like a Bible professor. He, but I, was, I walked into his office to hang out with him one day. And he's not typically a people person, which is why this kind of surprised me. Um, he, me and him were talking and he said, my wife, and he just says it bluntly. He says, my wife and I decided to adopt. And I said, oh, well, that's, that's good. That's congratulations. And he goes, yep, she's 65 years old. And I was like, what? <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. She lives in a, she lives in a, uh, uh, a low income community and she doesn't know Jesus, and she, she every like every other word out of her mouth is a curse word. But my wife and I have decided to adopt her. And I said, "How do you mean?" She goes, "Well, we paid her bills and we bought her a carton of cigarettes, and I feel like she's going to become. I feel like she's going to get saved." And I was like, "Yeah." And he goes, "Well, maybe she won't, but I really hope that's the case." And like for three years, him and his wife and the church took care of her and helped her get on her feet, pay her bills, bought her cigarettes. <laughs> and she, the woman smoked like a freight train. She even, the one time she came to church, she even rolled up in the parking lot of the church smoking a cigarette. And um, she, I don't know if she ever really got, I don't know if she ever became a Christian or not. But the but something about her just caused him to show an extraordinary amount of compassion toward her that I've never seen anyone show towards another human being whom they weren't related to in some way. And it it was just amazing. Yeah, and you don't know. Yeah, and it who knows, but compassion is compassion. Compassion you showing compassion really doesn't have necessarily anything to do with the quality of the person that you're showing compassion to. It's, it's God's placed grace in your heart in that sense. And so mm -hmm. run with it. No. Mm. Absolutely. So I, I just thought that was amazing. Yeah. Beautiful story. And you, and you never That's... know, you never know how things turn out, but you know, it's not, can't be for the worse that somebody took an interest. 
in somebody's life. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, True. So anyway, I'm sure we have those. Um, just sometimes it takes time, like you said, and it might be a miracle one day. And one person's, you know, the old saying, one person's trash is another person's treasure. One person's miracle is another person's maybe, eh, but then, you know, God works. Yeah. Exactly. God works. Yeah. Um, anything else on that section there, Reverend? I'm good. All right. Learning from the scripture or learning from the scriptures, the witness of the church. Um, so tell me what you got there. There's a couple things I really want to point out from this. Um, and one was the conversation about how much faith the centurion had. Um, he said in seven, nine, he said, I have not found such great faith, even in Israel. Ouch. (laughs) You know, and here it was the Jews that that came to Jesus um, asking for the healing of this of this slave for the centurion. Um, and it was the centurion who displayed the faith and saying, you know, at, at your word. Um, and then the conversation, I really want to point this out because I think too many times we skip over this. And I talk about this and the Um, second to last paragraph there on on page 69 but oftentimes when we read scripture we just read through the story and we jump from one point to another point and do not think about in between the lines Um, and it's really important to think about the in between the lines because these people that we're reading about were real people that had real lives um, that showed real emotion and relationship And so the conversations of where the fellowship really took place was outside of the stories of scripture. It was in between those moments. The two stories that we have today, one happened in Capernaum and the other one happens in the city of Nain. It's 31 miles between the two. That is a three-day walking journey. Can you imagine the conversations that took place during that time from the healing of of this centurion slave and then coming into the city of Nain, and now you have the raising of the widow's son. And those conversations are what cemented that fellowship between the disciples, between those that were following Christ. And discipleship. That's when discipleship happens. Yes. It, it's in the fellowship. It's in the relationship building is where we disciple each other. Um, you know, we need to know the stories of the Bible, but how do you know the stories of the Bible if you don't fellowship? with someone if you're not sharing that information with someone in an intimate level um which you know jesus wasn't always walking around going okay uh blessed be you know and all the disciples were behind with their little okay okay what else does he have to say you know that's not how that worked they sat down and ate meals together and they joked together and uh you know they were people they were people just like you and i are people um, while you were talking and what you wrote in um, in your lesson here, I think the discussion question was, well, it didn't have anything to do with the discussion question, but, uh, oh, uh, when he was talking about faith, you know, I've not seen such strong faith. Actually, so I've come up with a thought while you were talking. I love it when this happens. Yeah. Um, so you said in seven, Luke 7, 4, like the, the folks come to Jesus and they say, this man deserves to have you heal 
this, this yeah and then you say um let's be honest does any of us truly deserve the goodness we receive and i think maybe as i'm hearing you talk and reading this maybe that's what jesus was saying look y'all think y'all deserve these blessings you've not yet understood the faith that you like this centurion knows his standing before god but in faith he gets it like he doesn't deserve it so he's throwing himself completely upon the mercy of christ or god or whatnot and the new mm-hmm. jews are still like saying look i deserve these blessings i deserve to be part of this covenant or whatnot no you don't right and so the faith was being able to know that god can look down on us on our unworthiness and still love us and bless us mm-hmm. that is great faith um when you think somebody's going to take care of you, even though you don't deserve it. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Because we don't, I mean, we don't deserve it. And unfortunately, I think that Jewish mentality of of the Jews that were specific in this scripture kind of proliferates down through time where people, you know, I mean, not picking on any televangelists, but have, <laughs> how many have you heard that have, you know, you need to send me all of your whatever because I deserve to have this new jet and I deserve to have this big house. And well, I mean, like, I'm sure it's easy. What, what do we deserve? <laughs> I, the, the, one of the crazier ones was, I'm not sure if you, now some of you listening to this might know the name. I'm not sure if y'all do or not, but do you, but some of y'all might know the name Robert Tilton or Robert Tipton. I know the name. Okay, I'm back in the one. back in the late '80s, Robert Tipton was a uh, televangelist, and he said that if you sent in your prayer request to him with a love gift of five hundred dollars or more, then he would put your prayer request on uh, on a bed and lay naked on the bed and pray for your request. I wonder if he made money. <laughs> That's a problem. He made money. Like it was, it's crazy. Mm. But that's the thing. Wow. Like, like, what, like, like there is a sense where that's the, so when you think about it in those terms, like the simple faith of a centurion that just says, you'll, you know, do this for me. I don't deserve it. I'm not giving you money. I'm not like, you know, it's just, an authentic faith. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and that, that relationship building, that's that continuing. Um, can you, I just think about the conversations that he would have had then with the Jews who came to Jesus. Yeah. Um, can you imagine the conversations then that that would have taken place where, Jesus turns to the crowd and says, I've not even found this kind of faith in all of Israel. Right. And and can you imagine the conversations that would have happened from those Jews that came to Jesus and said, he deserves this to happen. Right. Um, You know, what does that mean? What do you mean? He has, he's not even one of us. I mean, he's a God fearer. Yes, but he's not, he's not a Jew. So how does he, him having that kind of faith, what does that mean about me? Right. And, and I think that's it. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the, that's what, that's the discussion that happens on that 30 mile track when the mm-hmm. disciples are like, what do you mean? Or what, you know, mm-hmm. I think that's, that's right. Or discussions. Yeah. Right yeah. I do believe that. Logan, you got anything on that one? 
No, I don't. I'm sorry. I look distracted. I got a message from a church member that I that I had to be responded to and got to do that, that ministry thing, you know? thing that always happens. I know it, right? Yeah, right um, there. So then what what I'll do then is say, Becky, we're going then to uh, apply in the scripture. And okay. uh, man, if we can't apply this, then our heart's cold, right? So um, yeah. what was your what was your goal in the ap- application here? My application was really talking about that we need to have that same kind of faith. We need to have that same kind of faith that the centurions had, knowing that it is our compassion that when we show it to all people, the same kind of compassion that Jesus showed to the centurion, the same kind of compassion that he showed showed to this widow woman. And it's when we do that, that it changes our life. I really want to highlight this last sentence that I said in this lesson. It says, when we take Holy Scripture seriously, it is more than just a great Sunday school lesson. It challenges us to change, to question our own motives, to repent, and to become more like God intends us to be. That is the application of the Scripture, is understanding this compassion that Christ had for these people, these Gentile people, uh, these people that didn't deserve anything, right. but the compassion that he had, that we're supposed to have the same compassion for the rest of humanity, for those people around us. Yeah. So the cool thing, when you say that, I think with Christian, with the Christian faith, it's an inside out religion and that the Holy spirit changes your heart, but it also works outside in, in that when you, by faith, like Peter walking on water, when you do it, when you do an act of faith, it also encourages faith in you. So there's that inside that is struggling to get out. And then you also start to do that task. You receive almost an edification, like, okay, now we're getting in the flow of things. The heart and the hands are getting together. And so yeah. I think it is important. You know, like, so I wonder, we're all preaching to you and we've all been there. Or I'll just say I've done it. <laughs> I know, like I'm outside the church and I see the person coming. And my first thought is I can get my car right now and save myself 45 minutes and $20. <laughs> like, right. I'm, and I don't mean to. Yeah. And then I have to overcome that. And then usually once I overcome that, I know I was supposed to be there. And then I also feel more compassion for the person as well. Yeah. But like, I, I'm not going to lie. You have to like, a lot of times you just have to commit to it by faith or by just sheer determination. And then God does change your heart. But I, I hope I didn't get in trouble there with people, but that's what he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're in trouble now. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I just know like, especially when you're at a church long enough or you're in the community and you're actually in the community and you know, the people, you know, your people, you know the people of the community and you know what's about to happen. <laughs> right? but anyway. Yeah. But you know, yeah. there's I think every one of us as, as pastors have have those certain people that we know about that whenever if you see their name on the caller ID, you really want to ignore it. Yeah. Um, but you know you gotta answer it. You do. And you know mm-hmm. you, it's gonna cost you some time and it's gonna cost you some money, but in the end it's worth it. Right. And I think we pray for grace. Like we pray for grace. Like we're not superhuman, super pastors. We pray for grace too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
each and every absolutely week. absolutely we're not all sermonators no <laughs> we're not <laughs> thankfully i am <laughs> i i ordered my t-shirt after i saw that and, <laughs> and i know and and Chris, you have one. I have one. And so to those of you who watch these videos on a regular basis, one of these days, we're all going to wear our Sermonator t-shirts. We'll be it's back. It's going to be fun. <laughs> right. We will. We'll be back. <laughs> no, uh, anyway. Walk away from the flames kicking up behind us, you know. <laughs> I can get that on a <laughs> background. That would be amazing. That would um, be amazing. No, so thank you for a good lesson. I mean, it, I think compassion is it, it is part of the ministry of Christ. It's part of that Jubilee mm -hmm. year. It's part of that letting the oppressed go free, these kinds of things. Yes. And even though it's hard and difficult, we pray. Yeah, especially in our political environment right now. Compassion, friends. Compassion. Compassion, man. <laughs> it's got to be there. This was an appropriate day to wear my Y'all Need Jesus t-shirt. That's right. That's true. That's right. So, all right, Becky, again, that's number one of eight upcoming total, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. All right. So I hope some of your churches have started to receive the encounters. We, we mailed them out six weeks before they're supposed to be due, but the U.S. Postal Service sometimes runs its own pace. So you should be getting them here pretty soon. Um, and I'm really excited. I do think... Again, it's going to be Becky and Logan and myself, right? And I think the spring quarter hits right. Uh, as I was editing it, editing it and looking at it, I thought, we have something here. Not that we didn't hear before, but we were working out kinks on things. But the, the springs uh, with the Easter season coming up, I just, I'm really proud of the, the work that these two have done. And I'm really proud of the work Andy and Cindy Logan, or Cindy Martin has, Andy Klung and Cindy Martin has done down at the center. And uh, I really thank everybody for giving the encounter a try. Also, I've had a lot of, a lot of really good, lots of really good communication lately. Thank you, Lord Jesus, Amen. for that. Uh, Amen. So we've had we've had about seven churches pick up the encounter again for the first time, or just in a very long time. And uh, and I'm I'm deeply thankful. So if you're watching this and you can help us, or if you watch it and appreciate it, help us get the word out that the encounter has been reformatted and it's taking scripture very serious. And, and we're trying to do all that we can to encourage our churches in discipleship. So thank you guys. Thank you. See you next week. See ya. Bye-bye.